0: From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to ESPN on Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski. I'm the senior writer for ESPN uh, on their NHL side.
2: And I'm Emily Kaplan, and I'm a national NHL reporter.
1: Are you? I am, and that's f- what they told me, at least. So I hope I still am full-fledged national. Nash- well, you you put the national stuff to good use this week. Oh, in what it, a in
2: transition!
1: It, I know. Uh, we realigned the NHL uh, under the auspices of perhaps one day there being a Seattle franchise, being that uh, you know they're refurbishing Key Arena and uh, they have owners in place. And there seems to be an appetite from the NHL to put a team in Seattle. One might assume that that is going to happen. Uh, so we assumed if it does happen, uh, they're going to have to figure out something with this whole NHL alignment business because uh, it doesn't work right now. And uh, we were tasked, and you were tasked in particular, with realigning the entire league. What was that like?
2: We were both tasked because this actually began when we were both in Bristol and you saw my Carrie Matheson as Homeland process where I had a bunch of different color highlighters trying to put it together on a a vanilla folder. But, um, yeah, I thought this kind of as a vehicle to rearrange some of the injustices that I find in the current NHL landscape. For example, I think the Atlantic Division is the stupidest division. It is a mess geographically. <laughs> and I said, let's have this as a way to fix it. Um, another thing that I find as an injustice, and this is what got most people riled up, is that the Blackhawks and Red Wings, which are such a great historical rival, are separated. It's just stupid. They're a one hour flight apart. So uh, I wanted to correct that. I asked Patty Kane and uh, Alex Dabrinkit, some good uh, Chicago Blackhawks, and one of them is a, a Red Wings fan growing up, it their thoughts, and they said, sure, let's do it. Uh, but apparently people in Detroit disagree. I had no idea how strong Detroit's East Coast bias was.
1: Well, I mean, I should say first that it definitely was evocative of homeland, what with the pictures and the strings. I thought you connecting the Nashville Predators to a general in Pakistan was a bit of a bold move, but I think you did suss it out at some point. And the
2: general who, in Pakistan who, just happened to be, uh, the Florida Panthers.
1: The Florida Panthers, right. Um, I think, I think, uh, for me, uh, we talked about this earlier before the show. Like, when, when you do these sort of bold projects, uh, online, Realigning the NHL, the top 100 players of all time, you know, handing out midpoint awards like we did today on, on ESPN.com. You're always kind of bracing yourself for the majority of respondents to give you backlash, and and most of the time it might not be indicative of the quality of the piece, but just indicative of how loud the minority of voices are in your social media feeds. This one stood out to me because 85 to 90 percent of the response that we got on it was not only positive, but literally people saying, this is perfect. Like This is the perfect alignment for the NHL if Seattle became a team. So first off, back Pat, to us, kudos to us for, for creating something that is, in the words of internet trolls, perfect. But the one thing, like you said, that had people riled up was what to me at this point is the most logical move, which is moving the Detroit Red Wings back to the Western Conference, putting them in a Norris division with Chicago, St. Louis, the Wild, the Jets, Colorado, Dallas, and the Coyotes, who we'll get to in a second. Um, look, at much much respect to the Red Wings and their management and the Illich family for culling this much favor with the NHL to be able to have them make a nonsensical move, like moving them away from the uh, Western Conference and their, their longtime storied rivalries with these teams. I think at this point we could say the the Western Conference needs the Red Wings again. They need one more glamour franchise that you could throw, you know, something as simple as being able to throw Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers on TV against Detroit because you know Detroit's going to bring them ratings on NBC. They miss it. I, I think Detroit belongs in the West, with due respect to the bedtimes of their fans.
2: Two things I'll say here. One, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that there's only one Original Six team in the West. It just feels silly. It's an imbalance. And two, the other thing I think is even more silly is in those 15% of bad negative responses that I got, and I just want to compliment myself and ESPN again for just putting out a perfectly universally accepted <laughs> article, uh, universally praised. Um, what it was is Red Wing fans, and they were literally said, like, I had seven or eight responses that had this almost verbatim, and they were like, the NHL owes us. They promised us. The Red Wings cannot go back to the West. Like, What does the NHL owe the Red Wings if they don't owe any one of their other 30 franchises at this moment?
1: Yeah. And, and and honestly, like, you're right. I feel like they get lost. Uh, when Detroit was in the Western Conference, it was a really big deal. Now, granted, something ha- that has something to do with the prestige of the team at the time, where they were winning le- cups left and right. But, like, they they, they didn't get lost in the shuffle. Um, when you're in the Eastern Conference, you're there with Toronto. with Mon- You're in the same division as Toronto and Montreal. So you're not nearly as prestigious as those two teams in the pantheon of hockey, even though, obviously, Detroit has maybe won a few more Cups than Toronto has in their history, or at least recent history. Uh, but put them in the Western Conference, and now you've got a massive glamour franchise. You've got a a, a team that has intense and storied rivalries, with all the teams in the uh, current Central Division and soon-to-be-again Norris Division – It just makes too much sense. But the other team that you put in the Norris, we should probably mention, which is the Arizona Coyotes, which geographically by my map, and and all I could say is as a child, I had a puzzle of the United States. I have a cursory knowledge of where these states are. By my math, maybe Arizona mileage-wise a little bit closer to the Pacific slash Smythe division teams than they are the Norris slash Central division teams. So why, Emily, did you stick them in the Central slash Norris?
2: The funny thing about this is this is what I thought would be so controversial because it totally hinged on one big if. And no one seems to care at all because it seems like it's inevitable. But I put them in the what is now the central division because I figured they're the team that's most vulnerable for relocating. You know, the places that we're talking about relocation right now, the favorite is Houston. Maybe Kansas City is still lurking around it just makes geographic sense that it gives the League a Safeguard because if they have to move them, they won't have to reshuffle everyone ever and again. So I just kind of went ahead and jumped three guns and, and put them in there, <laughs> and no one seemed to hate it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think people understand that when you look at the map, and kudos to our graphics department for creating such a picturesque map, such bright, vivid colors. Uh, the, uh, and by that, I mean gray and red. Uh, the... Uh, I, th- I think, I think when you see the map, you say to yourself, okay, it, it almost made it look like Arizona was part of the Texas panhandle. And, and you're looking at it and you're like, oh, there's the dot for Dallas. I could totally see this dot over here, this Arizona dot moving over to where Dallas is. And, and, uh, it, it made total sense. The other one that I thought was interesting, the only, only other backlash you might have gotten for this thing was, uh, Flyers fans being a little pissed off that they were no longer part of the uh, tri-state area, as it were, rivalry with the New York teams and the Devils. They and the Penguins are in what is now the Patrick Division, which is best described as the Southeast Division plus Nashville and the Pennsylvania teams. I'm quite comfortable with this because I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Pittsburgh's got a natural rivalry with the Blue Jackets and the Capitals to go along with their geographic rivalry with the Flyers. Uh, Nashville moving into the Southeast quote unquote Southeast division makes a ton of sense too. I, I like this a lot, even if it does take away the, uh, the flyers, uh, from the New York metropolitan rivalries that, uh, we've come to love.
2: For Nashville, the one thing I'll say is, yeah, it is unfortunate that they're the only central time zone team that's in this division, just as they're no, to be the only East. But it's so much geographically closer. <laughs> like, they're actually the geographically closest team to Hurricanes and Florida teams. Like, it makes sense. As for the Flyers, yeah, I found that the Pennsylvania teams were linked and the New York teams were linked, the tri-state area teams. And you couldn't separate those two. And the truth is, you just can't keep everybody together. And so as it is now, they felt it was so strong to keep that cluster together that they circumvent them and create this, like, really awkward, like, C Division, um, you know, yeah. that goes all the way from Toronto to Florida, and that just doesn't make sense. And we talked to Linda Cohen on the podcast. This is why I asked her. I said, you know, the Rangers have so many supposed rivals. Like, is do you view, you know, the Flyers and, and Penguins as their real rivals? And she said no. I mean, she knows better than anyone. She's the biggest Rangers fan I know. She said, the Islanders are our true rival. Like, that's you who go. you can't, you know, separate us yeah. from. So, hey, you can't please everyone. Uh, I know they're geographically close, but you just, you know, that new division I love the most. The one that goes from New York to Toronto. Yeah. Include, and at least you get to include Buffalo now. Poor Buffalo. They,
1: <laughs> and for the for the Predators fans that are crying about this this central time zone stuff, where are your tears when you play the University of Florida? Where are your tears when you play the University of Georgia? You know, you don't give a when it's the SEC, but now all of a sudden when it's the NHL, it's become a big thing with this time zone nonsense. Come on. Cool. It's not, it's not as if you're Arizona being forced to play Chicago. Uh, the other big right, story on, ES, on ESPN.com, uh, this week was uh, our morning skate about Yarmir Yager. So the news comes out over the weekend that the Calgary Flames and Yamir Yager working towards some level of resolution. Uh, he has gotten to the point where his health is a concern. It's gotten to the point where one goal in 22 games is not exactly what any, either side signed up for. Uh, a, a parting of the ways uh, between the Flames and Jager seems to be in the making. and could be, in fact, already happened by the time you listen to this podcast. But the question was, what do you want to see next for Jager? And you and I, I think, have different visions for the next steps for uh, the, the uh, hockey deity.
2: Yeah, well, I see him going back to Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh has all of these terrible five on five stats. They are not doing well. They could use a veteran, you know, presence on their team, maybe a bottom six forward. But I want him to go there and sign for one day and retire as a penguin and go <laughs> off to Europe. And that's my big twist. Uh, look, I don't think that Jager has a role in today's NHL. I think his body has failed him, even if his hands haven't. I think, you know, you said it best. He's just not in the tempo of his other players. You know, he's slow and plotting and the game's getting a little faster and faster. So, I think that his body can, you know, salvage him enough that he can go and, you know, maybe play for his hometown team in Czechoslovakia, uh, you know, in the Czech, maybe go, you know, play in the KHL if he wants and hopefully get the spotlight and send off he deserves and play in the Olympics. And wouldn't that do all a favor because it gives the Olympics some star power and something to watch?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, adding Yager to the Olympics is like when you see a, uh, a, you know, the rock show up at WrestleMania. Like no matter how boring you think it's going to be, the rock's there and now you're going to watch it probably. It's the one marquee above the line star that you need. The thing about Yager and Pittsburgh, and I, and I, I agree, like it'd be beautiful to see that storyline kind of come full circle, but I feel like as a veteran of Yager watch, that if he didn't go back and play with Pittsburgh during those years when Dan Bylsma was, was the coach and he was talking about Yager as this uh, incredible asset on their power play and they were, you know, it looked like it was going to happen. I don't want to see this sort of cursory thing occur where he signs there and, and it's symbolic. If he was ever going to go back to Pittsburgh, I want it to be more than symbolic. And the thing about Yager that makes me hope that he doesn't go anywhere else in the NHL, if he does play in Cladno until he's 75 years old, fine. But I want him to retire from the NHL straight away because I the thing that's made Yager special in the last several years is watching this guy defy his age. Like, no one his age should be as good as he is, uh, as effective as he is. I don't want to see a Yamir Yager that's battling his age. And I think that's where we are now, where he's, he's clearly feeling 45 years old, going on 46 in February. And that's not the guy I want to see. So... Symbolically, effectively, what have you? If it's the end of Yager and the Calgary Flames, it should be the end of Yager in the NHL. Uh, full stop. Uh, pack your bags, and we'll see you uh, in-, in Pyeongchang.
2: All right. Last thoughts. One, I don't know if you saw the news today, but Tom Brady has a documentary coming out called "Tom vs. Time." How oh, much do you want to see sp- Yager versus Time? And it's an all-access look at you know how he's maintaining his body and doing whatever the hell he's doing when he's not on the ice. I know I'm going to get pan for this. I said Jager should go back to Czechoslovakia. He's not that old. Um, It's obviously the Czech Republic now. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. That's that's fine. I have a state school education, but I know that.
1: Now, let me ask you something. Let me pick your NFL brain for a second. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, ESPN was also in the news in the past week for non-hockey things, such as a giant bombshell story about the New England Patriots, which as a Jets a Jets fan, I slurped up like a delicious lobster <laughs> bisque. I loved every minute of it. Does, does the Tom Brady... Uh, voodoo doctor stuff. It it all, it all reads like Scientology to me. It all seems like some weird cultish thing that he's involved in, uh, that other people kind of get roped into and the team has to tolerate. And I guess we'll see this play out in this documentary too. Does it, does it strike you the same way that vibe?
2: Oh, 100%. And look, Seth Wickersham is a friend of mine. I trust his reporting immensely. Like, I won't go into the details of it, but some of the things that he put in there, and these have been reported also by like the Boston Globe and other outlets that cover Brady. But the fact that he has this kind of quack doctor who's done some has some really questionable thoughts about how like he can prevent concussions through his you know health methods, um, and pretty much has the entire team as his roster, and they feel like they have to go because that's what Tom wants. Like, tell me that doesn't sound cultish.
1: Yeah, we need more quack doctors in the NHL. We've got the concussions. No, we don't. We've we got do the CTE. Not. We've got the player safety de- uh, debates, but we need more guys that are like, "Hey, what's that in your locker? Oh, that's a voodoo idol. It's Joe <laughs> Boo. and, <laughs> and I this leave is shot to
2: prevent me yeah. from getting my seventeenth <laughs> concussion."
1: i need shot i leave shot glasses of rum in front of him to to, to fend away the cte after my third my third fight this week like, we need more- proteins
2: have no shot at this guy
1: <laughs> exactly we need we need more quack doctors is what we need uh all right well that's that's the open ice segment for this week yager and and uh and realignment if you have any thoughts on those please do reach out to emily and i on on uh on twitter i'm at washinski where are you on twitter
2: Emily M. Kaplan, Emma's in mom. There's a lot of Emily Kaplans out there.
1: Alright, time for the extra attacker segment. Joining us now on the line is Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He covers the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, wrote a big old story this week about uh, what they might be doing. 20 Penguins thoughts. Where does Jim Rutherford stand on trades as we uh, turn the corner towards the stretch run before the Stanley Cup title defense? in which we all decide whether or not the Penguins are too tired to win or one player away from a three-peat. Jason, welcome to ESPN on Ice. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, the, 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 they're playing better. Sid's woken up. It's always good when Sid puts up a bunch of points, like right as we're doing a heart trophy and all-star, uh, bit on ESPN, where all the Penguin stands are like, where's Sid? I'm like, he just literally did this last night. <laughs> That's why he's not in the mix quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where do you think they are as, as a contender? Um, do you think that this is the period of time where Jim Rutherford pulls off his pre, pre, pre NHL trade deadline move to bolster this lineup?
0: I really do. Um, in the in the piece you referenced, um, you know Rutherford's saying, "I don't know if it's a trade that's going to fix this thing or whatever, and I, I don't believe that for a second. Um, we've seen Jim do this before. he kind of sandbags his way through it, and then all of a sudden he pulls the trigger. Um, I think Jim knows as well as anybody that this team needs at least one piece. I don't, you know, I'm not in the camp that's saying like that's what's gonna put them over the top and they're gonna be fine once they get that piece. Like, no, I don't I don't think that way, but I mean they're they're just not getting enough from their third line right now. And I think one of the things that made them so good last season and the year before was how much scoring they got that wasn't like Sid, Gino and Phil, and they're just not getting that right now. So, uh, you know, knowing Rutherford, his history, uh, I think he's going to try to do something. Now, can he do it? I think that's an interesting question. I mean, the Penguins, you know, they're not exactly going to like dangle Carl Hagelin out there and just have every NHL GM running to them saying, what can we give you for Carl Hagelin? <laughs> they're going to need to, you know, spice it up a little bit. And so I think that's what, you know, the the and Cole, do you try to, throw Connor Sherry in and get something for him. I don't know. I think it's kind of complex. But to answer your question, Greg, I do think they'll do something uh, probably in the next couple weeks here. Uh, And I think they need to do something. I think this team needs a little bit of an infusion.
2: You mentioned a couple players now. And also in your piece, you said they're not trading Chris Letang. You know, Tristan Jari, given Matt Murray's injury history, is not going. Who do you see as most vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, I think
0: Ian Cole, um, although I wouldn't even say it's vulnerable at this point, like he's a healthy scratch again now that everybody's back. Um, I think it's the third time since November 24th for a different occasion, like five total. Um, I, you know, I don't want to explicitly say that Ian Cole wants to get out, but I mean, he wants to play and things aren't going great here. So I would see. Cole was a trade piece. Again, if they can get somebody to take Kaegelin, who might like find some value there, I don't know if the Rangers would be interested if the Penguins took back some of the money. I, I don't know. But, you know, I look at those guys and Connor Sherry as well. Um, and Brian Rust, I guess, might be kind of the X factor, um, simply because he's one of the few attractive things the Penguins have two other teams you know I think if the Penguins would say um, we would be amenable to trading him you're talking about a young guy on an entry-level deal you can sign keep around for a while have some speed can score a few goals um, he might be attractive but yeah they're not trading Latang, as I wrote in there um, Rutherford was actually quite furious at the suggestion of that um, I don't know whether he's covering, or covering up for something previously or what but I mean they're not they're not trading him, and I don't know how you can trade Tristan Jari or even Matt Murray for that matter, uh, based on the, the inconsistencies and injuries in gold. Now,
1: when you talk about not trading Latang, though, I mean, isn't part of the equation the fact that this is the lowest his value has ever been? Like, I mean, I, I know, sure. I know it's, I know, I know it's like you know, oh, you can't trade Latang. Well, you know, conditions change and players change and, and needs organizationally change. I don't think it's out of the question that you could move Chris Letang. I mean, for God's sakes, they've won without him. But the idea that they trade him now does seem a little bit outrageous when, you know, his value is nowhere near what it should be for a player of his uh, potential ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think
0: it's the same stuff we saw over the summer. You know, there were some people around here floating the idea of trading Phil Kessel. And, I, you know, I, I could never see it happening for the idea that you're trading a stock at pretty much... Not its lowest point with Phil, but, I mean, it wasn't as high as it is now. Um, and with LeTang, I would say it is at its lowest point. And, you know, he makes seven and a quarter. He's having a really bad year. He's coming off serious neck surgery, and he's had a stroke and all kinds of stuff happened to his body. Like, I can't imagine there's a bunch of teams lining up to say, like, here, yeah, give me that. You know, it's and it's just if you wait a little bit, LeTang might – really snap back into form look really good and maybe you do it in the off season i don't know um i i genuinely believe that they don't want to get rid of chris latang i think they view him as an important part of this team but uh, you know it's just it's not a good deal for right now um and that's even ignoring things like you know medical records and who he's seen and what they've um, noticed and reported and who has access to what and Uh, insurance stuff and there's just a bunch of like ancillary things that i I just don't see this happening in season at all
2: so in my short time around hockey one of the things i really appreciate about Sidney crosby is that he's accountable he sits in front of his locker every day or you know to my knowledge and talks to reporters (laughs) you're around this team all the time you had that great piece where you asked him if he thought he was an all-star and he said no I'm just curious, what has he been like? How much of accountability is he taking? Does he blame himself for this poor start? Like, what's the mood been around Sid?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's gotten frustrated. I'm going to use that word, and it got me into trouble with him earlier. Uh, we were actually Uh-oh. in Detroit, and I think it was – yeah, this was – I'll just tell this story. I, but I don't blame he him. Said, like, I'm not, he said. He he said
1: Ryan Reeves after him.
2: <laughs> That's why they got Ryan Reeves. <laughs> Well, no, <laughs> the,
0: uh, they played in Carolina, and there was a camera shot of, like, sit on the bench, and he's looking visibly frustrated and whatever. And, like, I start a line of questioning with him about, you know, you looked really frustrated on the bench, and he like, cuts me off saying, well, we look frustrated a lot of times. It's just it's easier to pick out whenever you're losing. And, and, you know what, he is right. We We do pay more attention to that stuff when somebody's losing, and we're, like, thinking for some sort of – magic bullet theory, but I, I, the one thing I also liked about that, too, was it wasn't just Sid sitting there at his locker, like, passively agreeing with whatever you said and, like, spewing some cliche, like, good, you know, take exception to to what I suggested or whatever, and um, so, I, you know, there's been a little bit of a defiance with him, but, like, in a good way, you know, in a, a constructive way, and um, he's been so accountable in terms of, like, you talk about a star player who gets it his dealings with the media how frequently he talks like he is just he is always available it's almost like we want to go to the media relations staff and i don't think we would ever do this but say like hey you can like give him a few days off like we don't need this much but no,
1: he's he's very very accountable and gets yeah exactly
2: don't plant those ideas when all of us out of town guys come in uh for the playoffs
1: (laughs) i know i know i I guess i would never would
0: it's just something you kind of joke about amongst ourselves like oh uh,
1: yeah. A lot Especially when it's the playoffs and Phil like burrows under the newspaper in his cage like a gerbil to get away from the media. We can't find him for uh, three weeks, which is usually what happens when the Penguins... Yeah, good the luck with that, guys. Yeah, maybe, exactly. maybe,
0: maybe you can come into town and, and snake-charm Phil into the dressing room.
1: <laughs> but on, on Sid's... Okay, so Sid in the last four years, 77 games, 80 games, 75 games, 44 this year. In the playoffs for the last uh, four years, we've got th- uh, we've got uh, five twenty four, then twenty four. So this is the guy has played a lot of hockey, as has most of these guys. One of the prevailing theories about the Penguins is that it doesn't matter what bodies you add; the bodies that are on this roster are dead beat tired from playing this much hockey in the last two years. That's not even talking about like the added World Cup nonsense. Uh, do you wh- what do you feel about the theory that they're just not gonna have the gas in the tank to compete for a three peat this year.
0: I don't buy it um I, I i really don't and I especially don't buy it if we apply it to sid um and why I say that is like he is such a like a hockey dork, you know and I mean that in like an endearing <laughs> way that like he takes such good care of his body, he lives his entire life to it toward like a morning skate and games and competing in like game 17 of the NHL schedule. And like, you know, the stuff that's gone on with Sid, like it, it isn't for a lack of effort. I don't look at him every day at practice or a game and say, Oh my God, that guy looks fatigued. Like, you know, do I think that guy's putting like an enormous amount of pressure on himself? Yes. Do I think sometimes that guy's just not executing stuff we've normally seen him execute? Yeah. But I, I just, I don't buy it. For the Crosby effect, Um, I don't buy it for a lot of the team. I mean, I I think a lot of these guys, you know, this is their life. They gear everything toward it. And if they don't win the Stanley Cup or or make a run or even make the playoffs, like I I still have a tough time buying that they're too tired theory. Like I think more so you're just – kind of have a team that was a cert, built a certain way the past two years and maybe not so much this year, you know, and, and we yeah. could look at that in terms of the third-line center. Um, we could look at that in terms of veteran leadership where you have guys like Kunitz, Cullen, Daly, Benino, Hainsey walk out the door and you replace them with like Matt Hunwick and Antti Niemi. Um, there are just, you know, some things that aren't the same. And that's what I would look to more if they're not able to, to sort of turn this thing around.
1: There you go, and and obviously, like once they beat the Capitals in Game Seven in the first round, then all this they're too tired stuff goes out the window because you know that's where it's headed. <laughs> you know it's going to happen too, right?
0: Like they could implode <laughs> yeah. the round after the Capitals. Like they could get outscored twenty five to nothing. I feel like, but they'll yeah. they'll nip the Capitals.
1: Right, and they'll get them in the first round because like if the Capitals will like be on a President's Trophy pace, and then all their fans would be like, start throwing your games. Pittsburgh's going to be the last wild card. <laughs> And then, uh, really? and then they, yeah, they just see him in the first round. All right, Jason Mackey, where can people find your stuff? Uh, Post-Gazette.com. Um,
0: I'm not going to give the whole backslash thing, but if you can't find it from postgazette.com, com, I, I can't help you there.
1: There you go. Jason Mackey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on ESPN on Ice. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. There you go. You know, I, met, I uh, Jason followed me at the Connection newspapers in northern Virginia when I left to work at uh, Yahoo!, he was the, uh, the new, like, one of the new sports editors. I in thought you were saying Virginia. that he
2: followed you as in he was like a fan of your work.
1: <laughs> I would look out in the bushes and he would be like there. I'm like, what the hell is <laughs> he
2: up to these days?
1: He's like, I'm with TMZ in Northern Virginia, buddy. I'm no, tracking awesome. you.
2: He does really uh, good uh, work. Uh, I like his stories.
1: Yeah, I like him too. I think he does a good job. Uh, coming up, uh, after the break, we speak with Max Domi of the currently still in uh, Arizona, Arizona Coyotes. We'll be right back after this. Uh, we're back on ESPN tonight, Ice, Greg and Emily. And Emily, you had the opportunity to speak to a, a fascinating individual, uh, a star, as it were, with the Arizona Coyotes, Mr. Max Domi.
2: I did. And, you know, the reason I wanted to bring him on is we have this thing called the Player Media Tour in September where, like, a representative from every team comes. And it's almost like speed dating. You get 15 to 20 minutes with each guy. And Max Domi really stood out during that session. He is a, such a vibrant personality. He's a really great player. And it's sometimes unfortunate, especially for American hockey fans, you know, that he's on a team that's just not doing so hot and doesn't get a ton of national attention. But I just, you know, wanted to, you know, talk some hockey and talk some non hockey with him. So I brought him on the podcast and Greg, I did this interview and I don't know if you've ever seen me, you know, work, but I ask really hard hitting questions. So my first question to Max was, When was the last time you cried?
3: The last time I cried? Jeez, honestly, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. Maybe when I was younger. I don't even know how old I would have been,
2: though. All right, so not a crier.
3: We'll check that off. Not not really. All
2: right, so we're recording this on Friday, and last night uh, Joe Thornton got a chunk of his beard ripped out in a fight. Did you see that?
3: I did see that.
2: So I'm curious, what's the grossest thing or weirdest thing that's ever happened to you on the ice?
3: You know what? I had a beard not quite as long as Joe's last year. Um, mm-hmm. and that was, like, my biggest fear, so it's kind of a little deja vu. I had a couple of little scrums where some guys grabbed my beard a couple of times, and there's not a whole lot you can do. So um, I have to go with getting my beard ripped as well. Um, but at the same time, I got a puck in the in the face one time, and... Um, there's like a big chunk of skin in my hand. So that was pretty, mm. pretty gruesome.
2: I never realized how big the hair issue was. I actually, I'm in Chicago and this morning is at morning skate talking to your old buddy, Connor Murphy. And he said that hey, he once Murph's doing? Murph's doing good. He's played some really good hockey. And, um, That's I awesome. asked him the same question and he said when he was in world juniors, once he got a handful of Patrick Liney's hair when it was still really long in his mouth guard and it was greasy and it just sounded disgusting. Ooh.
3: That is terrible.
2: Yeah. So at least you didn't get that.
3: Yeah, I haven't gotten that before. That's for
2: sure. <laughs> well, Max, you live with type 1 diabetes. and Since entering the league, you've done a really amazing job of raising awareness and also connecting with kids who also have it as well. And so it's something you have to think about daily. And I'm just wondering if you can walk our listeners through how you manage that on a game day. Like, what's your routine?
3: Yeah, you know what? It's definitely a pretty... Uh, pretty extensive routine for me but uh, it's been something that i've i've learned to deal with and and playing the nhl you have your own routine as it is and it's it's pretty extensive so to add in uh testing your blood and i mean making sure you're eating the right foods and and sleeping the right amounts and uh, pretty much the whole 24 hours leading up to a game for me is, is when my routine starts so it's uh it's pretty regimented and uh, i do everything at the same times and eat the same foods and um you know what try to make sure i don't go low or high because um, that will dictate how i play uh the next day so um it's 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 a lot but uh for me it's something that i've had to tinker with uh my whole career and i've come to a routine that works for me so i uh, i stick to my guns now
2: yeah well, a lot of people know your dad ty domi his playing
3: career but it really sounds like he's living his best life now that's kind of like his it's his second life that's for sure and he uh his excuse is that he, he does it so that I don't have to do it on social media, and that's just a complete lie. He loves, <laughs> what he loves, a sacrifice! He loves the and and, and he, yeah, he, he lives for that stuff. So um people don't realize, I mean, how connected he is, and, and he shows a little bit of it now with with social media. So we have some fun with that, and uh you know, he's, he's a character, I guess, on and off the ice now. So um I love watching his stuff, and yeah, I know a lot of other people, so it's, uh, it's good. It's really good for. For his uh, his well being, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of connections, I was going to ask. I remember in New York uh, in September, you were telling us about how he was like front row at the Mayweather fight. How
3: did that happen? Yep. Um. He's he, he actually uh, he was connected with Floyd prior to that through one of his friends in New York. So can't uh, can't say who, but uh, like I said, he got some connections. <laughs> can't so he, say he, who. He, that's he that's serious. Yeah. <laughs> So, we'll talk
2: a little bit of Yotes right now. I think we all kind of expected you guys to take a fo- step forward this year. And there's a lot of promise to your team, and, you know, there's so many great young players, but it still might feel like you're a year away. So, I'm just curious when you get to this point in the season and you're kind of far away in the standings, is it difficult to keep focus every night? And what are some of the conversations that go inside your room? What's the message at this point in the year?
3: Yeah, I think at this point it's, it's definitely tough, but uh, the first half year is behind us now. and we're uh, starting out the second half of the win against probably the, the best, if not one of the best teams in the league. So um, we're just taking it day by day now and uh, looking forward. So um, sometimes you got to take a step back to take, take a step forward. And um, new coach, new system, all of new faces in, in our locker room. So definitely been an adjustment period, but uh, we all like where we're at now, and we just got to take uh, the right step forward every single day now. How would you assess your season? Ah, uh, it's been tough. You know what? Um, it's definitely uh, been frustrating, but uh, that's part of it. You gotta you gotta be able to go through that uh, to become a better player and, and be a part of a better team. So um, it's it's been difficult, but uh, we're definitely, like I said, that stuff's behind us now. We're just taking a step forward every single day now.
2: So your GM was pretty splashy last summer, and he made some moves. And a lot of people are predicting he might do the same this off season. So you have a lot of friends in the league. I'm hoping you can give me a pitch that you might give to them of why they should sign with the Coyotes.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of over my head with what moves happen, and uh, it's tough to see your buddies go. But um, when, when you're at the bottom of the standings, it's it's, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to make moves. And um, I think there's there's a one guy in our locker room now that uh, shouldn't be in the hot seat right now. So we're all expecting that, and uh, just i mean, working hard, and, and, and you know what, doing everything really to make a difference. So, um, whatever ha- whatever changes happen this summer, it's going to be difficult. But uh, I'm sure some things will happen, and hopefully, we can track some uh, some new signings with uh, you know what the youth we have here. and Obviously, it's a great push to play, and uh, we're making moves to hopefully in the, in the near future be be a team that uh, I mean wants to win. How far away do you think you are? Yeah. Um, well, I would have liked to say this year make the playoffs and, and be a contender and um, unfortunately it's, uh, we had a tough start but I guess, you know what, at this point anything's possible and, and moving forward we, we'd like to, to be a contender every year.
2: So, you're in the Golden Knights division. I think you've played there twice. i love to hear what players think. Do you think the Vegas flu is real?
3: Uh, no doubt, 100% it is but uh, they're a good hockey You They work hard, well coached and uh it surprised a lot of teams. So, um, I mean, you know what? If they, if they can do it, we can do it too. And I think that's where we're looking at it right now.
2: When, when you say no doubt, is it harder to play there because of distractions? Or, or why do you say that, no doubt? Yeah,
3: well, it's it's Vegas. So, uh, I think that's good for itself. Um, definitely a benefit for for, for them. For team, uh, not a benefit for teams coming in, but at the end of the day, I mean, you got to be a pro about it and understand that uh, everyone's in the same boat. and I think we have an advantage because when we come in, it's it's only the night before a game, so we don't have a whole lot of time to to enjoy those distractions. But Mm -hmm. the the Eastern teams, I'm sure, would would be able to answer that better better than we would. So
2: in October, you had this tweet, and it called for stricter immigration. And at least in our hockey circles, it seemed like it caused an international incident. As an athlete, I'm always curious, when you tweet something like that, are you aware it will or even can cause that kind of impact?
3: You know what? Um, it was unfortunate what happened with that, uh, that tweet. I think everyone's got a got a voice in this world, and uh, people can can I mean spin whatever they want in it. So I know what I meant, and I'm sticking with it. And people that know me around me know what I meant, and um, the people that don't know what I meant are the ones that are just trying to I mean cause conflict. So it's it's, uh, it's up to them, not me. And you know what? I stand by what I said.
2: Well, what I thought was great is right after you sent that tweet, you sent another one and said, "Serious? Like let's have a conversation about this." Were you able to have any conversations, or at that point, is it just kind of lost in the shouting culture of our world?
3: Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's interesting when, like I said, people can kind of spin whatever you say into however they want to make it out to be. So, um, you know, like I said, I stood by what I said, and people that wanted to actually, uh, um, I mean, have a legitimate conversation about well, yeah. Of course, you, you take the time to do that. But the people that just want to spend into a negative thing, you, you kind of just don't even look at that kind of stuff. So, um, if it's a positive conversation, no, no doubt, I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk about that. But if there's anything that's spun negative, I don't really have time for that.
2: Well, you've been in the league three years now. What's like a habit or a hobby you've picked up uh, since you were a rookie that you do now?
3: Um, you know what? You kind of lose track of, of what's going on. It's, it's, it's such a long, growing season that you just take it day by day, and it kind of just snowballs into all kinds of stuff. But um, I definitely watch a lot of hockey. Hang out a lot with my dog. So, like I said, yeah, when you're when you're at home, you yeah, you just lay low and hang out and have some fun. But on the road, you, it's almost like you're doing the exact same thing, and it's it's clockwork with with what you have to do. So it's it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of the part of the. The pro season, so we we definitely have fun. How much hockey do you watch? Quite a bit, quite a bit. That's for sure. Um, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that we're kind of that we're always a late games. So by the time of, if, if we have a game, we we miss all the the Eastern games. But uh, at the same time, if we don't have a game that night, we get to watch a full night of hockey. So uh, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: What do you do on the team plane usually?
3: I'm a card guy. We, uh, we play spades. There's, uh, there's four of us. I play with um, Christian Dvorak, uh, Zach Ronaldo, and Christian Fisher. That's our uh, four card tandem, so it's, uh, it's pretty fun.
2: you ever get bored? Just the same four guys,
3: the same game? Um, we play stuff quite a bit. Right like now, <laughs> when uh, uh, Rhino's suspended, unfortunately, we have Jacob uh, Chickering steps in, so we get a new face once in a while if there's an injury. A guy steps in, so that's how you kind of keep fresh. It's like an I angel mean, call up. Lose, yeah, exactly. That that next time you're, I mean, if you lose, you're you're so like hungry to win. So um, we're pretty used to winning for myself <laughs> and uh, Christian Fisher. So D and, uh, and Ryan will definitely go back and forth with it. So we have some fun. Awesome. You
2: don't have to name names, but I'm always curious. What's like the most embarrassing thing you've seen a guy watch on the team plane? Like, I feel like there has to be someone who's addicted to Gossip Girl or Riverdale or something. Um, someone just sitting there with their beats.
3: I think they're guys are smarter than that. They try and keep that for for at home. They uh, they know they're uh, an easy target if they're watching that on the plane. So, I think guys avoid that on purpose. But uh, most guys stick to the the game of thrones and stuff like that. So it's. uh, it suits and all that stuff, but there's nothing really embarrassing because, I mean, I think guys are just too
2: smart to, to make that mistake. All right, well, since I didn't get you on the crying question, I'm going to end it here. I appreciate your time, Max.
1: All right, thank you so much for having me, on. Our thanks to Max Domi and the Arizona Coyotes for their uh, time and consideration of coming on ESPN on Ice this week, which brings us to our next segment. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Yes, My- it's the time in which – we talk about the biggest media hype story of the week in the grand tradition of the reporting on Phil Kessel buying a hot dog from the same vendor every day of his life while living in Toronto.
2: So um, this story came to my attention on Monday, and pretty much what happened was, I believe it was NBC Sports, uh, the local affiliate for the Sharks in San Jose, uh, it was just like uh, NBC Sports California asked their players. This kind of it was an innocuous story, you know. What's the worst play city you like to play in? And uh, Thomas Hurdle says that he doesn't like Winnipeg because it's cold and dark there. And uh, defenseman Justin Braun said he doesn't like it either. Someone thought that the hotel that they had Wi Fi at wasn't that strong. The Wi Fi. And all of a sudden, we get this CBC story where they literally have to quote Dana Spiring, the president and CEO of the economic development of Winnipeg, as to why all of these misconceptions aren't true. The story ends with this incredible kicker. Winnipeg, in fact, does have (laughs) Wi-Fi.
1: Yeah, uh, she uh, really vigilantly defended the city. Uh, saying that, uh, Justin Braun's home city of Minneapolis is much the same climate of, of Winnipeg, uh, that, uh, that, uh, you know.
2: It's actually the sunniest city. It's a really sunny city.
1: They said, they said, she she said Winnipeg is actually the sunniest, uh, the second most sunny city in Canada with an average annual, uh, sunshine (laughs) of, of 2,300 hours of sunshine (laughs) just below Calgary, which I guess is the sunniest city in, in Canada. Um, it does remind me of one of my favorite things that ever occurred in the life and times of Ilya Brigalov was when he was with the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. There was a chance they might relocate to Winnipeg. And he, uh, said that he did not want to go there because v- Winnipeg does not have any parks. So everybody lives underground. Is and, uh, it's the impression on our podcast. It, might, it, it may have been on this podcast. So it does, it does, it's the grand tradition of NHL players not wanting to play in Winnipeg. Now they, they might not have had their facts straight, but Although this was complete media hype, CBC uh, dealing with what was sort of a goofy video from the Sharks uh, in a serious way, it does speak to kind of a situation that they've got to deal with in Winnipeg, which is the perception of the city. Like, it's pretty easy if you're Vegas – to get people to come to Vegas. It's Vegas. You can golf all the time. You've probably been there before. You know what the deal is. If you're somebody trying to recruit a player to Winnipeg or a, a player that might be interested to in come to Winnipeg, these are the sorts of things that kind of play into the mind of players. So <clears throat> Scott Brown was the spokesman for the Jets, actually had to come out and say, quote, the wildly held misconception, mis- misperception of the city is one of the challenges we face as an organization and one of the reasons we always say it is important for us as an organization to treat the players properly and show them what a special organization and places could be. Take a drink every time you hear the word organization. Uh, but so that's <laughs> the kind of thing they have to do is like when these it's stories do come out. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. <laughs> it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Um. Like when these stories do come out, they they have to kind of give pushback to let 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 it be known that Winnipeg is not a a frozen hellscape and that players can actually want to play there and bring their families there.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I think Dana Spiring says it best when she was you know touting all the things Winnipeg has to offer. They have food trucks. Okay, there's food oh, trucks yeah. and sunshine. Why would you not want to play there?
1: Mm-hmm. The food trucks mostly sell hand warmers and flashlights. Uh, and, and wi-fi hotspots, with well, food trucks nonetheless. <laughs>
2: he also says it's one of the best culinary scenes in the country, which reminds me of my favorite quote ever from, um, Bills president Russ Brandon. We, when, you know, he also works with, uh, the Bills and the Sabres. And, uh, when I covered my football days, um, he told me that Buffalo, pound for pound, is the best restaurant city in America. So I'm glad that Winnipeg didn't try to take that distinction from them
1: pound of wings what do you think the most i would imagine indian food's really popular in winnipeg to keep yourself warm at all times
2: that doesn't you know. sound bad
1: yeah I it's like in some
2: windy and indian food anytime
1: Yeah, it's like it's like zelda breath of the wild when you have to eat hot peppers just to keep yourself cold, uh, warm when you're in the mountains by the oh. way I, I we are we are, we are uh, on different sides of the indian food ledger i i am a very adventurous eater i have not been able to crack anti-non no yeah, well not no non's great like let's be honest yeah, there but like the actual cuisine itself mm-hmm. and I, and I say this as a fan of Ethiopian food and, and and a lot of other interesting cuisines I just can't get around Indian food I could never oh, I love do the it. flavor
2: so much I'll even have like the Trader Joe's frozen whatever
1: like tandoori yeah,
2: yeah yeah 100% All right
1: So if if somebody out there during one of our many travels be it when Emily and I are in Tampa or wherever Want to hit me to an Indian food place that'll take us change. Indian food
2: in Tampa, please? Yeah,
1: if you if you That's have why we're going a place, down there. or even if you have a place anywhere in any NHL city where you're like, you've got to go have this. Because honestly, yeah. like when I lived in DC, I was sort of meso meso on Ethiopian food mainly because of preconceived notions of what that cuisine might be. But then like people that I you know friends of mine took me to the Ethiopian places in DC which are incredible Yum, and yeah. I've been a fan ever since. So if there's an Indian place that'll crack the code. If I'm somebody who's like I don't like hamburgers cuz all I've had is McDonald's uh then please do take me to these places. I'm an open-minded eater. I've just not found any Indian food that I really like.
2: Fair enough. Two out of 3 weeks we get McDonald's on the podcast too.
1: Well, I'm trying to get sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, I really like Mercedes Benzes. I don't know if I've mentioned here on the podcast <laughs> before. Um, anyways, it's time for Puck Headlines here on ESPN on Ice. We've got a few to, to uh, mull over and discuss this week. A lot of news happening, actually. First off... Uh, it's pretty clear from the rounds that Peter Chiarelli made in the last week that it's damage control time for the Edmonton Oilers. It's pretty clear from the press conference that Mark Bergevin gave, uh, at the midpoint of the season that the Montreal Canadiens have myriad problems. From where you're sitting, Emily, who is in the biggest trouble? Who gets fired first? Mark Bergevin of the Canadiens or Peter Chiarelli of the Oilers?
2: As much as I hate to see one of the NHL's best dressers go, I think it's Mark Bergevin. And, uh, look, Peter really did make his rounds and one of the most, you know, emphatic things he said is that he has no intentions of firing Todd McClellan. Well the question is, is he at risk of being firing? And I think <laughs> the fact that he's going out there and being so vocal and you don't see ownership, you know, kind of pulling him back and reining him in shows that he is in control of this team or maybe he believes he's in control of this team. Whereas Mark Bergevin, I think that is the only GM that I see really on the hottest of hot seats right now.
1: I agree. I I think that in both cases, we could see a situation where the general manager gets fired and the coach gets retained. I think there's a, I think Claude Julien might end up in Montreal longer than Mark Bergevin has been there. Um, only because of the things that we know about trying to hire a coach in Montreal and the challenges that are inherent, inherent to that. In Chiarelli's case, I, I, listen, I think that, that the management of the Oilers, was kind of in trouble and kind of, uh, you know, the direction of the team in question. And then they won the draft lottery and got Connor McDavid. It's entirely possible that the trajectory of this team changes once again if they don't make the playoffs, which they won't, if they get the top pick and they get Rasmus Deline as the franchise defenseman. So now all of a sudden you've got best player in the world.
2: Wait, they're going to get the number one pick?
1: Sure, why not? They Every time they're in the lottery, you get the number one pick. So... <laughs> Let's say that they, they win the lottery again, they get the lean. Now all of a sudden, you know, your trajectory changes again. Kind but like Yamamoto comes up. Yeah, and, and Drysaddle finally settles into that malkin' roll on the second line that they're paying him to do. Like, it's entirely possible that this season's a mulligan. You hang tight, you sit tight, and all of a sudden next season's better. Um, to that end, I think that Chi probably is the GM beginning of next season. And I think McClellan is the coach beginning of the next season. And then next season is the, uh, poor or get off the pot season for the Oilers with this, with these, this management team. Uh, but I think Montreal has to fire. I, I just think Bergevin has been, um, has made bold swings that ended up, uh, poorly for the franchise. Um, I, I think that. His backing of Michelle Terry and for as long as it went was a bad thing for the franchise. And ultimately, I know – listen, I know he's getting a lot of flack for this, but it's not so much that Jonathan Drouin was acquired to be a center and can't play center as well as he can wing. I think he was pretty clear about that before – the. when they made the trade, that the center thing was kind of like, let's hope that he can do this job. But if he can't, we're totally happy having this incredible offensive player on the wing. I think the issue – increasingly is what they gave up for him. Like I think Sergachev is, is playing uh in a way that makes you think he's gonna be a top pairing defenseman. Um with due respect to Druanne, the kind of player that Sergachev could become uh does not come around very often. And on and this side I th- of
2: history, doesn't it look like the lightning and Geiserman just totally fleece them? The fact that they lose Druen and do not lose a step offensively at all.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Like well, they, they clearly were dealing from a position of surplus, and uh, and everybody knows the the the, the situations that Duran had had with John Cooper and with his place in the on in the lineup and everything else. Immensely talented player, almost kind of feels like you said, like if you're dealing from a stacked deck, that you shouldn't have to trade a blue chip defensive prospect like they did to acquire a player of this ilk. Um, but in the sum total of decisions that he's made, I think we could both agree that Berger Vance probably the first one is the guy who's going to go first. Um, speaking of the Lightning and Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, we did some midpoint awards. One of them was the Hart Trophy. I find this field to be really fascinating. I don't know if there is a clear MVP choice right now. I think there's like several guys you could say could be the front runner for the award, even if Kucherov seems to be the choice for many. What say you about the Hart Trophy right now? Who's your leader?
2: I got Kucherov. Um, ah! I think, <laughs> I think he's the best player on the best team. And, uh, it's hard just to deny the production that he's had. And it's the obvious choice and the right one.
1: Oh, the obvious choice and the right one, you say. Well, here's, here's what I say about Kucherov Boom. and his, his candidacy. Let me hear. Um, it. I always hesitate to give the Hart Trophy to anybody who isn't the person shouldering the the biggest load for a team. Fair. And in, in the Lightning's case, I think Andre Vasilevsky is as important or more important to the, the place in the standings the Lightning have right now. You could also
2: argue that Kucherov's linemate is as important.
1: You see, I, but on that one, like, he, he clearly had the same, or or a, a similar level of offensive success last season without Stamkos. And I feel like, Okay. You could argue that although Stamkos has been incredible and, and that line has been dominant and Kucherov and him have both been fantastic, that Kucherov could be putting up those numbers anyway, uh, or something similar to them. Maybe not the goals pace, but like the points pace at the very least. Vasilevsky comes in, best statistic goalie in the league, my leader for the Vezina trophy. To me, he's the difference. To me, the goaltending that they've gotten from him consistently is the reason why they're in the driver's seat for the president's trophy. So, Another I'm, move I'm,
2: by Yeiserman, by the way, where you get rid of Ben Bishop and somehow get better in goal.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so, like, I, I think, yeah, I, I think Bishop was fine last year for them. I, I I think Vasilevsky could end up being the better goalie, uh, in the long run. Um, and so I think that his performance has really bolstered that team and made them the success they are, which is why I look towards players that maybe not, that have not had the benefit of that kind of goaltending and are, are, you know, more responsible for their team success, which is why along with Kucherov in my top three, I have Ovechkin because I don't think Holtby has been Holtby this year for the most part. No, definitely not. Um, and I think that Ovechkin, I mean, w- rare is the season where Alex Ovechkin plays well enough that they put him with Nick Backstrom to get Backstrom going. Like, when does that happen? <laughs> Never. Yeah. So, uh, but the guy that I have on top of the hard trophy right now is Nathan McKinnon for the simple reason that we did this, this, uh, this uh, mid season awards thing uh, with the Colorado Avalanche in a wild card spot. The Islanders were not. John Tavares might be on my top, in my top three, were they? But since the Islanders are on the outside looking in, I turn my attention to Nathan McKinnon, who, um, is multitudes of points ahead of his, uh, the closest other scorer on the team is having a career year of career years for the Avalanche. And on top of everything else is doing it in a year in which they traded one of their top three offensive players in Matthew Shane. So now all of a sudden, not only does the offensive burden shift a little bit uh, higher to to McKinnon, but everything else off the ice does, too. And I think he's answered the call, and he's been incredible. And the avalanche, uh were it not for a certain expansion team sucking all the air out of the uh, <laughs> room in the Western Conference, might be one of our best stories, so I'll give McKinnon the nod for the heart right now.
2: All right, I'll take it. Now, the next puck headline is something that broke on Tuesday, and it involves the Central Division and the team we're usually talking about there, and that's the Chicago Blackhawks. And on their game, they're playing the Ottawa Senators. They have scratched, uh, as a healthy scratch, Brent Seabrook. What make this of you?
1: I make this of of the reality of our surroundings, which is that Brent Seabrook has lost steps, plural, uh, and that at this point in the season – Joel Quenville and this franchise has to do the things they have to do in order to win games. And they clearly feel like, looking at their top six, top seven right now on defense, that there are players that have earned more ice time than has Seabrook. Um, we saw them make a dramatic move. Well, I mean, dramatic being an understatement when Seabrook gets healthy scratch, but putting Cody Franzen on waivers and then sending him to the AHL was a pretty bold move considering that guy had played pretty well. And now the healthy scratch Seabrook is about winning games. It is about icing your best lineup. And uh, as frustrating as it might be considering his contract situation, it could be a situation where Brent Seabrook is no longer giving you the best option to win.
2: Yeah, I see this as nothing more than Q just kind of sending a message to his lineup. I don't know necessarily that Jan Ruta or uh, Gustav Forsling are better than Brent Seabrook. It's just that you have to tell Seabrook, hey, this complacency is not okay. And those guys that I mentioned, I go to a ton of Blackheart games, as I mentioned, it's been pretty incredible. Like, the first month of the season, we're like, Rudolph, this kid's really good. And then force like, wow, he came along sooner. And now you've got Jordan Osterly, who's playing like, you know, a shutdown defenseman almost. He's playing really well, plus offensively producing. Uh, that creates this logjam where you can send Cody Francis on waivers. And they're super lucky that he cleared, because now he has so much more trade value that, you know, to any other team, he can have AHL, NHL, NHL value. So um, I see this as Q just saying, hey, guys, like we're making moves. And when you look at it from a grander perspective of what they've done this week, they've made a ton of small moves. uh, And you kind of wonder, is Bowman, you know, brewing for something big? Is this, you know, him stirring the pot saying, can we respond to little things like Brent Seabrook's benching or do I need to go and trade Brandon Sott again?
1: (laughs) But you, But like you said, though, like – I mean, the thing about the Blackhawks in the off season was the thing that we see now, which is that this was, uh, if this is message sending and nothing more, it's because they, their options are limited. Uh, they've got one, two, three, four, five guys with no move clauses, right? And in Seabrook's case, it's one that really kills you because he's 32 years old and his contract situation is one in which you can't, it's, his, million his, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a it's a cap hit of of uh of uh, like, what did you say six point eight seven five million. But then on top of that, his no move clause goes until two thousand twenty two. Full no move. You can't hope to move him into until two thousand twenty two unless you get his cooperation. So. You know, maybe it's just a message to the team. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, what's the best way to get a guy off my cap if I don't want him there anymore? Just stop playing him, uh, and force him to wave the no move. I don't know, but like it, it, the same situation now is what we saw earlier, which is that their hands are tied from a personnel standpoint when it comes to a guy like Seabrook because of these, these, this no move and no trade protection that Stan Bowman gave him. So, uh, I hope you're right. Like I, I, I you know, it, maybe it's to light a fire under him. Otherwise they've got themselves a, a hell of a cap conundrum. Uh, finally, last buck headline for this episode of ESPN on Ice is about the All-Star Game. The uh, selections for the teams will be coming out this week. We know the captains. We know the coaches. Emily and I picked our Eastern and Western Conference uh, teams that we'd like to see this week on ESPN.com. Is there one player that you had on your teams that you're legit worried isn't going to make the cut when the real teams come out? Hmm. Good Because I got one for the East, for sure. Let me
2: hear your East one first.
1: All right, hey, Josh some- Josh ba- Josh Bailey. Like oh, I feel no. like I feel like Bailey is one of the greatest stories in hockey right now. Um but you know, it's an All-Star game and it's not always a meritocracy. It's usually who are the biggest boldest names that we can put in these skills competitions, who are the people that we're going to have glad hand our sponsors when they come to Tampa to watch this game. Who uh, who who do, who do people want to meet and see on site at the All-Star game? Now, Occasionally, a John Scott thing happens, and there's nothing the NHL can do about it, but also occasionally you have a Josh Bailey situation where he is extraordinarily deserving of being in an All-Star game based on his his accomplishments this season, but I do hesitate to say that the NHL will say, yeah – we gotta be in the Josh Bailey business for this all-star game. And so I'm a little bit worried that he might take a, take a seat, uh, in exchange for, you know, a, a Kuznetsov or a Malkin or a Panarin or someone of that nature.
2: Yeah, I hate that there has to be one representative for every team. Like I said, you know, stop giving out participation trophies. Um, in fact, when I tried to do this exercise, um, I tried to skirt around it and you kindly police me and said, no, you have to pick a representative from every team. Uh, but when I look at the central, I have two forwards from the Blues there, and it's Braden Shen and Vladimir Tarasenko. And I felt they both deserved to be there. If you look at their start, both players are equally important to the team. And when you look at the points total, it'll probably be Braden Shen who would go out of the two of them. But, I mean, I'm not, it's not just because I'm a Terra fan, but I'm a huge TerraSenko fan. I think everyone knows that. I spent some time with him this offseason. I fell in love with his family. They're fantastic. But he's a threat every time he comes onto the ice. Like, he's who you worry about. You don't worry about Braden Shen. If you watch them play, I get frightened if I'm the other team, if TerraSenko has the puck, and he deserves to be there, and I feel like they're gonna have to choose one of them, and, uh, it'll be Shen.
1: Indeed. I, uh, Yeah, we'll see. It's, the All-Star game is always a tricky one and, and I think that our stories sort of hit on that because like in theory it should, it it should harken back to the old days when you were in like watching the baseball All-Star game and like a guy who comes out of nowhere and hits 300 for a team should be on the All-Star team. Right. But I feel like, I feel like this format and the way the NHL does it I mean, first of all, it's completely taken away the fan vote. I mean, you don't even see the totals anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, it's all online. You have to register for this, that. It's, it, it's, it's a million light years away from going to the game and punching little circles in a paper, which is how it probably should be. <laughs> um, but it's, it's never clear whether or not it should be based on merit or just simply getting the biggest stars in the game. I tend to believe that the NHL errs on the side of let's just reward the biggest stars, uh, and the most marketable people. Um, so we'll see, so we'll if see. Joe Thornton, NHL All-Star. Why not? Am. Oh, yeah. my God. Yager. No <laughs> just put Yager. Tie, let's tie a bow around to the first discussion we had, almost. We'll put Yager in the game. Western Conference All-Star. Who cares? Right? Mm-hmm. Although I don't think he wants to do it at this point in his life. No, he shunned it.
2: Save that body for the Olympics.
1: Yeah, I think there's a better chance he could get Sidney Crosby in the game than Yager. But yeah. anyways. He's, uh, He's
2: going to be the snub people are going to be pissed about. Who, Sid? Yeah, I. Oh, he doesn't want to go anyway. Who cares? He doesn't Ah. go. He doesn't deserve to go. He's not going to go, and Yins are all going to get upset about it.
1: (laughs) All right, those are your puck headlines for the week, Emily. I understand history has been made.
2: History has been made. I am super, super, super excited to say we've gotten a couple voicemails, and our producer Gabe has picked out one of the best ones to air this week as our first rant.
0: Hey, Greg and Emily. Great show so far. Love everything you guys have been doing. But I gotta get off my chest that I think that Ken Allen is being a complete buffoon. Between the draft picks that he sent over, which became Jacob Chitren for Pavel Batsu, basically questionable first-round picks and contracts that have put this roster basically on a freeze. But I just can't understand why. Red Wings choose to move forward with him for the long term. I just gotta believe that they're burning great prime between Dylan mark and Anthony Manta right now by not doing justice to this roster in this city. So I'd love to see him moved into a different capacity or moved out completely and I would love to hear what your guys' thoughts are on the Red Wings now and going forward.
1: Well, thank you. And and actually, it's funny, Emily, like, I was thinking the other day about the rant line that we have and how I wanted to make it into more of a listener question line for us. So this is a great transition to what this thing might actually should be going forward. Uh, great which, rant. Yeah, I know. What's your thoughts on Kenny Holland and the, and the Red Wings and their future?
2: I think they're in a really difficult situation. I think they committed to so many long contracts that they're just having a hard time navigating out of it. But the hardest time they're having is committing to the rebuild. They, I feel like they just keep de- delaying in, delaying it. And like you said, you've got great players like Mantha and Dylan Larkin that are kind of just biding their time. So I think what they got to do is blow it up somehow and just commit to the rebuild right now. And that's how uh, Kenny Holland's going to save his job.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, uh, the, the cap situation for the, the Red Wings vis-a-vis the, r- the, um, production they're getting out of those players, uh, and the success they've had in the standings, I think is pretty well documented. Uh, it does seem like a franchise that needs to get some sort of level of game-changing player and game-changing talent, and the only way you can do that these days is getting it through the draft. Kay. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough sledding for the Red Wings insofar as, uh, circling back and being a cup contender. Whether or not Ken Holland should be the guy to shepherd that, uh, that transition back to contending, uh, I think is something that's a bit easier to comprehend, which is, uh, no, he shouldn't. I mean, this is, uh, a guy who, who should at this point be kicked upstairs. Uh, there should be someone coming in and mercilessly looking at this roster and the contracts that are on it and reorganizing things, uh, and then also maybe having a better understanding of of today's game and, and, and the kind of players that you need to excel at it. So I'm in full favor of a change in, in, in leadership for the Detroit Red Wings going forward. And maybe best case scenario for Detroit, my friend, the Tampa Bay Lightning win the cup and Steve Eiserman says, I've accomplished all I need to <laughs> here and I'm going to go save Detroit. Uh, and then in the process gets like $20 million a season to do so. That'd be the best scenario for the Red Wings, and I'm sorry for implanting that thought in your head because now it's all you'll think about for the next 15 months. Uh, that's it. ESPN and Ice is done for this week. Thank you to Jason Mackey from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and then also to Max Nomi, the Arizona Coyotes, for joining us on the show uh, uh, this week. Next week, uh, me and Emily will be face-to-face in beautiful Bristol, Connecticut for uh, some meetings and such. Uh, so uh it, it'll be a, a great show, uh, as always, I'm sure, from the uh, Frozen Tundra. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer.
2: I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. Oh, Big.
1: remember to re- leave pleasant reviews and such on iTunes for us as well. Now we're going. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski. Download and subscribe to the show in the ESPN app and in an Apple
3: Podcasts.